Today we are back in the book of Matthew, and there's good news and bad news. Your bulletin takes you through three subdivisions of Matthew 5, and the um, bad news is we're not going to get through all three sections. We're only going to get through the first one. I, I think that'll be good. The good news is I don't think I've recently taught through the scriptures in a more practical section than what we're going to talk about today because you're going to end the day with feeling like God's kind of gotten into your pocket and that's that's okay because that's where we live we want to live at the level of the heart and the mind in terms of our commitment to God uh, we are in a crazy time uh, it's not unlike some that Israel have suffered through in the past. Uh, I, the last time I taught, I reminded you that there's a man in the high levels in the civil service in this country who was voted Woman of the Year. There's a male swimmer athlete at the University of Pennsylvania who was voted Female Athlete of the Year. There's a couple in Canada who celebrated a gender reveal party for their eight-year-old daughter who announced that she was a boy. And, you know, as I told you before, all those things you kind of just can sweep away like a fly because history will say in the future, all that stuff is insanity. It's ridiculous. It's not even worth consideration. But where does that leave us? Um... We are in a challenging time where we have to work our way through the culture of that what's around us. I, for the first time last week, and I was in trial last week again, and first time I got a question from a judge that I wasn't prepared for. Usually you're always prepared for everything that can happen at trial. And, <laughs> and the judge said, Mr. Moore, what pronoun would you like to go by? I thought... Uh, here, I don't, I don't know what pronoun you go by, uh, and obviously he was looking for Mr., uh, and I, I squelched my humor in terms of what I thought he could say to me, but um, apart from that kind of silliness, here's the critical issue. You and I are made to be in relationship to God. We have a God-shaped vac vacuum in us that is only filled by redemption in Jesus, and if we don't have that, I don't care what position we have, what face we put on, what a status we have in this country, we're fooling ourselves. And so I told you in my last message, there was an article that's come out about attorneys, us people, entitled Returning to an Unhealthy Normal. And it says 35% of attorneys struggle with depression. 67% of attorneys struggle with anxiety. 44% of attorneys struggle with health issues and substance abuse. And 19% of attorneys, 19% struggle with whether they're going to kill themselves. This is no small matter that this culture has changed the price tags. It has switched things from bottom to top. And Jesus confronted that in Matthew chapter 5. Now, if you have your Bibles... Turn to Matthew 5, hold your Bibles up. That's our routine. Good. I see a few of those iPads and iPhones. 
And let me give you a pitch again. It's starting to work, by the way. Get a study Bible. You can do the NIV study Bible that I use. Has 2 million copies sold and about 8,000 notes. Or you can get the Ryrie study Bible, which has about 2 million copies sold and 10,000 notes. It's as good as seminary in some respects. And it reminds you of some of the depths of the things in the scriptures. But in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus confronted a culture that had gone sideways in a couple of ways. There were the religious leaders who were phonies. They were charlatans. And all they did was teach something in a way that padded their own nest. And then he had the disciples who were confused about the coming of the Messiah and what would the Messiah bring and would it be a conquering kind of a thing to make them a people that had their land again. So you get two basic questions in the Bible. First question is, often came by the rabbis and scribes. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Great question. And Jesus answered, and we will answer it from the scriptures. Second question came more often from the followers of Jesus, from the disciples, and they would say, what must I do to be great in the kingdom? Now, if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 5, you'll see that we started off a few weeks ago in the Beatitudes, and Jesus straight out to his disciples says, this is what it takes to be happy. So we did the little clip, the little dancing, you know, be happy clip. And the point of that was at the core level, oh, we didn't announce that the kids are with us today. So kids, you're just kind of bored, I understand. So I'll try to move quickly. Um, the, the core issue is what does it take to be satisfied in our soul, happy and joyful as a core being? And you'll remember the Beatitudes say things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, that doesn't sound very happy. But Jesus is teaching that the poor in spirit, the peacemaker, the ones who are meek, the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness, are the ones who are on a path to at their core level say, I'm, I'm right with God, even if times are tough. And we learned last time we were together that we are people of the light. So we are to be, as the uh, illustration comes with the uh, passage in Matthew chapter 5, he teaches that we are to be ones who are people of the light. We are ones who, um, who follow the, him who is their light and who have a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees and scribes. So where does it leave us? He now has to start stripping away the culture. In the same way we're stripping away the culture in our day, we read now in verse 21, if you'll follow with me. You have heard it said. Now, Jesus is going to teach this six times. You've heard it said, but I say. So six times he strips away what the general expectations are around him. And he says, you say you've heard it said that the people of long ago do not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment but I tell you that anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment do you get that to be angry is to be a murderer in my heart this is murderers row what's Jesus's point again anyone who says to his brother Raka that actually 
in the original could be blockhead, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Kind of a bad spot to be in. If somehow, regardless of the fact that I walk around kind of clean saying, I'm not a murderer, I haven't violated the law. Truth is, as often as I'm angry to my brother, as often as I curse my brother, I've committed a violation that falls short of the righteousness of God, akin to murder. So what's the solution? It's a solution you would never expect from Jesus who wants to build a kingdom program on earth. It's the very opposite of someone who's building a kingdom program. We read, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Say what? Stop your worship. Stop your approach to God because you've got something that's complicating your relationship to God. This applies to prayer life, effectiveness in prayer life. It, affects, it, account, it, it, it applies to worship. And it says, God doesn't want our worship if our heart is not in it. If we are not committed from the core of our being out, get that right first. Now we know that, don't we? Because the ancients said, Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil, as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought his fat portions from some of the firstborn. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was angry and his face was downcast. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? So the pattern is, you get it right from the inside first. You don't worry about what the outside exterior looks like. In fact, you should back away from dressing up in an exterior artificial way that looks spiritual and get back to core issues. That's what Jesus' instructions are. Stop taking your gift to the altar. I taught this once and I had some people stand right up in the service and leave. And I thought, good. <laughs> I guess you're applying... You, you've got something with you and your brother, and you've got to get that taken care of. We continue to read, settle matters quickly with your adversary when, who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still, still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you'll not get out until you've paid every last penny. penny. What does this mean? Jesus, in teaching about following the law and the righteousness of God, says, first of all, look at the inside, not the outside. And though you may be clean as a whistle in terms of the classification of a murderer, we all struggle with the heart and anger and things that are akin to murder. And Jesus says, the way to fix that is to back off of your worship of God Take your gift, leave it at the altar, and settle things with your brother. You know, Isaiah said something similar in Isaiah chapter 5 when he said, Because there are those who call evil good and good evil, 
and those who call light darkness and darkness light and sweet sour and sour sweet, even so God has no place with them. So everything about our culture wants to press us toward an artificiality that says, I'm good. James Kennedy had two great questions that came out of Florida many years ago in his ministry. And I've used them often in my discussions with people. I've said, if you were to die tonight and go to heaven and St. Peter met you at the gate and he said to you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Now, I've gotten all kinds of answers to that, but you can guess them. Well, I, I don't go to church as much as I should. And I really don't give anything to the church. And I, but I haven't killed anybody. <laughs> I haven't done anything that's a gross violation of the law. And all of that is swept aside in terms of the issue of redemption to those of us who are in the church. It has to come not with an answer of what we've done, but of who we are and our relationship to God. Now, Peter talked about that in Acts 15. In Acts 15, we are tracking with the apostle Peter, and Peter says that there are those of us in the church who have understood that as Israelites, we are benefactors of God's grace in the Old Testament. But it's moving to the Gentiles. It's moving to the New Testament church. And in that, God's purposes are accomplished as Jew and Gentile are brought together. Here, in this passage, the disciples are contemplating what is it going to take to bring in the kingdom of God? And in that regard, the answer is begin to live with integrity begin to live with truth. And so if reconciliation comes before worship, there really are three questions for us today. One, who am I? Not what am I doing, but who am I in my walk with God? Secondly, what am I to do? based on my understanding of my relationship to God? And third, why do we do it? Now, everybody runs into conflicts with people. And that's where I said, you know, this passage is in all of our pockets. It's kind of vocationally what I do a lot of, trying to resolve conflicts. And here the passage is, the text says, if you have... If your brother has something against you. Now that's not something you did wrong. You may be the innocent party. But you know there's a blockage in relationship. This text says. Go try to deal with it. Deal with it in a way that tries to compromise. And bring. Resolution. To the brother who has something against you. Three things may happen. One. It may work. Two, if it doesn't work, it moves to the next level 
and gets worse. It doesn't get better. And third, the consequences down the road can be very serious. And if we didn't catch that point, then all we have to do is go to Matthew 18. And Matthew 18 is one of the classic passages on the issue of personal conflict, where it says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. And if he's listened, you've won your brother. End of the story. And if we were to overlay that passage back onto Matthew 5, we'd say, okay, now, that, that matter between me and my brother is resolved. I'm going to go back in a revived way in my worship of God and bringing my gifts to God. Of course, Matthew 18 goes on to say, if your brother doesn't listen to you, the second stage is take two or three as witnesses and go to him and attempt to resolve it. If he doesn't listen, third stage is tell it to the church. I've only been involved in that kind of a service twice in my years of ministry and church life. And I say this carefully, it should happen more often than that, where brothers and sisters refuse to turn from a pattern of sin in their life. And though approached individually and by two or three at some point, the congregation gets together in grief. Catch that? Not judgment, but in grief and prayer and asks God to turn the heart of that person back. And I've seen that happen. It's a wonderful thing. And of course, the fourth stage is treat him as an unbeliever if he continues to not listen. So the consequences of what we're talking about today that's in our pocket, that if a brother has a sin against us, are strategic and critical, not only for our life, but the life of the church. And lest we think that we are immune from being not just the one who received wrongs from others, but the givers of wrong, James 3 says, remember, we all stumble in many ways. So, don't curse those who are made in the image of God. I get most in trouble on that when I'm in my car. Um, uh, I've either caused a problem or somebody else is. But the point is, we all have feet of clay. Nobody gets through life immune from either receiving unfairly conflicts from others or creating conflicts in the lives of others. And we are to be a people of reconciliation, a people of settlement. And that often involves you won't get a resolution that you're entirely happy with. In my trade, we call a settlement something that neither party is happy with. And that's probably pretty accurate because you meet in the middle in a way that honors God and says, I'm more concerned about my relationship with you in the future than that I'm made whole in a way that financially or some other way I think I need to be. So Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not commit murder. But here's what I'm saying to you. Get right in your walk with God in a way that brings harmony and peace in the body of Christ. They say, well, John, people are totally depraved. And let me do two minutes of theology here. We, we all are fallen. We are that. 
And, and to be fallen means one thing in the Bible, and it doesn't mean another thing. To be fallen, to be people of Adam and Eve who still are, have the sin nature, does not mean that we're as bad as we could be. It doesn't mean that at all. I mean, you'll find people at all kinds of stages of good and bad in terms of behavior in life. What it does mean is that we are condemned before God as a righteousness short of God because of our nature. And it's not so much that we're as bad as we could be, but it is we are a people who are bad off. Meaning there's nothing we can do on our own that commends ourselves to God. It's like being in the shores of California and jumping in the ocean to swim to Hawaii. The issue is not whether you're going to make it to Hawaii. The issue is only where you're going to drown. <laughs> and that's what righteousness is in, on our planet. It's only a matter of where we're going to drown. And so the good news, do you realize how much terror people are living in today? I mean, just in the last 24 hours, I've read that California thinks they're going to lose a billion people with a flood. And while I don't really mind that Sacramento would turn into, you know, riverfront property, uh, that's not going to happen. And somebody else says, well, there's going to be a cataclysmic war, and we're close to a war with China. And that might happen, it might not happen. But here's the thing. God has not lost control of us and of the church. And he wants in us to be a redeemed people who are people of the light, who shine in a way that says there's a better answer. And it comes in him who is the life, the way, the truth, and the life. And by him comes redemption. So, as we look at Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, and I think we're going to get that on the screen. If our guys in the back can put that screen up, there it is. Nope, let's do Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I already did Acts 15. Acts 2, 8 through 10, you'll see that the two central issues of the Bible are Acts 2, there it is. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works that no one can boast. First spiritual agenda in life. What does it take to gain eternal life? There it is. It's not works. It's not merit. It's not someone who's relatively good. It's a gift of God coming by grace through faith. But lest we think that's the end of the story, it's not. Because verse 10 in Ephesians 2 is the one we lose track of. And we go on to read, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Being a redeemed people, now we're a people on a mission. We're a people doing, can I say this, God's work in the families and communities that we live in. We are people who, if he is the sun who is the radiance, we are the moon who reflects his radiance to those around us. We are people who can act in a way that is different from what the culture pushes us to because of Jesus. So we are people that are created for good works. It did not get us into a right standing with God, but now being in a right standing, it creates in us a mission statement. 
a work statement that says you're created in Christ Jesus for good works. Where does that leave us? The condition of the heart is more important than spiritual ritual in the Bible. He doesn't want your worship to the absence of integrity. He doesn't want your gifts or your participation in the kingdom to the neglect of your personal relationships. He wants, first of all, from the inside out, to be people who are honest, who speak to the struggles of our life and the way in which we believe God can address them. We are to be people who understand who we are, who understand what it is we are to do, and how we are to do it. And you know, that's really consistent with Matthew chapter 5 and where we have been. And that passage is on your screen now. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and may gladly and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We are a people of the light. We are a people who understand that our obligation is to reflect to others what God is doing for us. I had a uh, recent discussion with a group of people who challenged me about my faith. And it happened to be within the vocation that I'm in because <laughs> a majority of attorneys uh, are, they don't believe the way I do. At least in my 30 years of experience, that's what I've run into. And I was challenged about the fact of why it is that I believe that Jesus is the, resolu the answer and resolution to life. I said, you know, um, there really is a second question to that James Kennedy dialogue. First question, Peter says, why should I let you in my heaven? And it really doesn't matter what answer you get to that first question because you're leading up to the second question. And that is, why is it, what is it that you are, how are you related to Jesus Christ? What is your relationship to him? It's not so much what we do to earn our way into heaven, because that is not going to happen. It's the kind of things that come in our righteous standing before God because of what Jesus is doing. No wonder that Jesus said we are co-laborers with him. So he says, unless you're righteous, so he says, the text says, we are people who are participating in good works for the purposes of launching the kingdom that is within us. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask for your wisdom and judgment and direction as we deal with the human affairs of life that surround us. We understand that you are the one who is our author and finisher of our faith. You're the one who provides for us the grace and ability to address the dilemmas of life. And we confess, we get all wrapped up in the personal side and personal offense of wanting to be the person that's right, wanting to be the person who, who, who puts another one down in order to put ourselves up. And, and, and we confess to you 
that that is not honoring to you. And would ask that in our lives, in our week ahead, that we would follow the instructions of Jesus, that we settle those matters that are before us with others before it goes to the affairs of a court, before it goes to the consequences which damage, cause more damage. In Jesus' name, amen.